Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. There clearly is something about us human beings that can tell when somebody's saying something that, you know, they're not saying the types of words that they would normally use when they're having a chin wag. Nice. Very nice. See how I built that one in? Yeah. I mean, I I think you tying this back to your idioms is the difference between chalk and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Avoiding responsibility, saying, I don't know, it's not my fault. You know, all those types of things. There's loads of these things that uh, where you are potentially going to cause the customer to get their back up. Certain phrases, it might matter to customers in some circumstances, but I think the greater power is that it, the effect that it might have on the employees when it's done appropriately. So Colin, you know how big we are in promoting data as a way of making decisions. Absolutely, really fundamental. Well, I've got a great idea and I think we should collect some data on it. I think that there's a real opportunity for us to grow the podcast in the direction of more lizard owners. I think there's a real growth opportunity for us. Lizard owners, why lizard owners? I I don't know, that's why I wanna collect some data. Luckily, we've got an opportunity here. Uh, YouGov has approached us and invited us to work with them and collecting data in any way we see fit. And I think we should use that to look into uh, lizard owners. And if you would like $500 off your first survey, then all you need to do is to go to yougov.com backslash ICP. That is yougov.com backslash ICP. And you'll get $500 off your first survey today. You know my view, mate, which is many organizations don't spend enough time gathering data. Absolutely. And part of the reason that they don't do that is because they think it's going to take a hell of a long time. And the thing I'm really pleased about is that YouGov have got a great self-service platform that helps you to create targeted surveys within minutes and get the answers within hours, which really means that you can test things and test things frequently. And the really good news is you pay as little as $1.50 per respondent. Go to yougov.com backslash ICP and you will get $500 off your first survey today. And we're going to learn so much about lizards and their owners. Ryan, we're going to start this week's show with a test. All right. Let's hear it. Now, I don't want you in any cheating on AI or Googling any of these, okay? I will, I will fail on my own accord. Honestly. <laughs> These are British sayings that in my time coming over to the States over the last 30 years or something, I've discovered that not many people understand these. So you're, you're testing me on my knowledge of British idioms? Correct. I, I'm not sure if I succeed by getting these right or getting these wrong. Like I don't, maybe as a proud American, I, I should intentionally not know them. 
Well, I think you'll know a few of them, actually, because uh, I think that um, so you would have heard some of these, and some of them you could probably work out, but mega. But before we even get into these, British idioms are among my favorite things. Like, uh, the, oh, well, the, the British have a way of turning phrases that the rest of the world just looks on in admiration. So I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to these. Let's, let's hear them. Okay. So if I said to you, Bob's your uncle... What would you think I mean? Oh, that's embarrassing because I hear that one a lot and I'm I'm trying to think of out of context what I mean. <laughs> Bob's your uncle is what like, um, I don't know. I, how would you use that? Like, uh, I guess, I don't know. It, it's when something is straightforward. You can okay. say, all you have to do is press the button and Bob's your uncle. And I have got no clue where that came from. But that's <laughs> a saying that, we, that we have. would be my assumption, but... Uh... Okay, so one nil to me then so yes, far. Yes, yeah, I'm not doing well so far. What about if I said I was chuffed the bits? Chuffed means like agitated, like slightly angry? You tell me. <laughs> I'm getting chuffed now. <laughs> so chuffed the bits means that I was actually quite excited by it. I was very I was very pleased. Okay. So I'm I'm really chuffed the bits that I'm now two nil up. <laughs> yeah, I um, I got that one completely backwards. All right, so. Okay, so third one is having a chin wag. Uh, that's uh, chatting with somebody. Yeah, correct. Like gossiping. Yeah. Well, yeah, having a chat basically. When when you chat with someone, you say, "I was having a chin wag with Ryan the other day." Go. Okay. Okay. So two one. What about um, spend a penny? I mean, I would have assumed that just means buying something, but clearly that's not oh, right. It's got a very different meaning in England. What is that? Well, the meaning is that I want to go to the restroom. Because oh. you used to oh, be yeah. able to spend a penny yeah. to get yeah. into the restroom. I mean, last time I was in Europe, it's going to cost you closer to a euro times <laughs> two. Yes. So. yes, that's right. That's right. And the last one is, so that's three one to me. So this is, yeah. this is a slam <laughs> dunk. We're going to finish the show now, mate, because I'm, I'm well pleased. Yeah. So if I said to you on your bike, um, I would assume that you're dismissing me, telling me to leave. Yes. Okay. Well done. Yes. Three, two. Not bad. That's very honorable. That's a, that's an honorable performance. So, and yeah, I'm, so I'm even going to argue for chuffed because I think that anytime a British person is happy, that makes me agitated and angry. So I think that that's how I got that one wrong. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. And at this point, I would say on your bike. Yeah, that's right. Which means get out of here. Yeah. I'm, I'm being dismissive of you, but there you go. Why do we start the show off like this other than just to embarrass you? Which just is to embarrass me. me. That, that's the whole purpose. <laughs> the, the reason that I wanted to start off with this was because of something really simple, which is simple but complicated, which is language. And we have had uh, one of our None of Us Are As Clever As All Of Us videos sent to us. And this is where we invite anybody listening to the show to submit a video to us we'll put a link in the show notes and we're going to play the we then play the video and we're then going to talk about it so shane smith from evertix contacted us and he submitted a, a video that talks a lot of sense about language we'll run this video and then we'll come back and talk about language My name is Shane Smith. I'm the founder of Everetics, a customer support and service consulting company that is about a year old at this point. 
Colin, thank you so much, and thank you for your partner inviting me to do this recording. One of the things that I wanted to talk about was something that we call inclusive versus exclusive language and how important that is when it comes to customer support and service in the way that we talk or we email with our customers. The reason this is important is because as human beings, we have psychological reactions that we are unable to help one way or the other. Inclusive language is saying what things are. How are you? I'm good. Exclusive language is saying what things are not. How are you? I'm not bad. And this is a very controversial. However, it's also really important because even though when we said I am not bad, it still has a psychological trigger in the person that we're speaking with where they raise defenses. And if we're in customer support and service, we're raising those defenses unnecessarily. You can look at a whole bunch of the different things that we say now. For example, no problem. This is one of the worst exclusive things that's very common and also raises those defenses with our, with our audience that we're speaking with. So in this case, to use some exclusive language, not only are we inciting the, the no or the not psychological kind of reflexive defensive mechanism that we all have as humans, we're also introducing subconsciously that it's a problem. Oh, so you're telling me it would have been, this is just the way our brains work. So you're telling me it would have been problem otherwise? That's another one. Another common phrase that we use very commonly, at least here in the US, is I don't disagree. This one's crazy because once again, just as in uh, no problem, we're raising defenses with don't. And we're also injecting into the subconscious of our audience disagree. Another way to say this would be, I agree. Or, hey, that's a good point. Something positive in light. And the thing I guess that I'm really appreciative of being invited to share this video with everyone is words matter. And they actually matter in ways that are deeper than what our conscious layer processes them as and by going into your email and being conscientious about using words that are uh, I call them the not words right don't can't etc etc is a really 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 easy and simple way to improve the customer experience for virtually no dollars invested just by putting a uh, filter in your email as you're typing it. So if you say NT, because that's the way that, you know, we've learned, it flags that. It makes a huge difference. Anyway, Colin, thank you so much. I appreciate this. I hope it was helpful. And I, I wish you all the best. Take care. Bye. So I don't know about you, but I thought that was really quite interesting because language is so important, isn't it? Uh, yeah, this is something that, that you and I have talked about a lot over the years. Um, we've done a couple of consulting engagements on on this, training employees to use the right types of language. I mean, we've talked a lot about 
framing effects, for example, uh, on the show. And those are really just language effects. It's just different ways of describing the same things. And we know that they can result in differences in how people respond to them. So I haven't dug into the the specific framing effect that our listener was talking about here in terms of inclusive and exclusive, but certainly sounds plausible. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the issue for me is that uh, the first thing I would say at the very top of this is I really disagree with having scripts. So I wouldn't be advocating for having scripts in a contact center or, or, or elsewhere. I think, though, what you've got to do is you've got to make people aware of the types of things that they are saying and the effect that they're having on them. Because for me, it does go back to the framing thing, which is there's different ways of saying it. And you've just got to really think about the effect that you're having on somebody when you're saying it. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I also think that that scripts are going to be noticeable to anybody that you're talking to. But I also think that there are these people make their own scripts also. I think that there are these default scripts and that those tend to propagate. So if you're having to have similar conversations over and over again, you fall into a way of saying things and you pick up on that from other people who are doing the same thing. So it's it's very common in families, for instance, or in, in religious communities for prayers to start using very similar language that you tend to hear how other people are phrasing things. And then you start to say it that way. A lot of customer experience engagements are the same thing. If you talk to you know, the clerk at your grocery store, a lot of the clerks at the grocery store will have very similar phrases that they use when they ask you if you, you know, are looking for anything else or if they can help you in any way. We tend to look for these patterns to make things cognitively easier for us. So I think that where this advice would be especially useful is to make sure that this pattern of speech doesn't fall into those formal or informal scripts that people start using. That's where it can be really damaging and destructive. I would assume that a kind of a one-off usage of, of one type of phrase or another is probably not going to be that noticeable. If you've got everybody in your call center, though, kind of picking up on the this this way of communicating and it's not good, it's not very helpful to you, then that is, I think, where it can be especially noticeable. I think for me, the big issue here is context. What the conversations have to be is, is within context. There clearly is something about us human beings that can tell when somebody's saying something that, you know, they're not saying the types of words that they would normally use when they're having a chin wag nice very nice see how i built that one in yeah i mean i I think you tying this back to your idioms is the difference between chalk and cheese (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was an idiom i didn't use because i knew you'd i knew you would remember that one but certainly things like so some negative language we've done lots of training on this type of stuff as as well but for negative language things like not saying I can't help with that. This is not our policy. Avoiding responsibility, saying, I don't know, it's not my fault, you know, all those types of things. There's loads of these things that are where you are potentially going to cause the customer to get their back up. But you see, that's an interesting phrase. Even saying getting your back up is, uh, I, I guess it's not an idiom, but it's 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 a way of expressing the uh, somebody is starting to get annoyed, isn't it? Yeah, I assume it comes from animal behavior. Yeah. You know, a lot of animals will 
arch their back when they're angry. And a lot of British people too. Uh, you guys <laughs> arch your backs a lot. I don't know. Uh, try to appear bigger. I think this this whole bit about being able to disagree with things. You'll remember back in the day, and I don't know if you do remember this actually. Have I ever told you about Apple, the way that they deal with a lot of their customers with feel, felt, found? Uh, but it's been a while. You'll have to remind our listeners. Yeah. So this is one way that Apple deal with their customers. And this came back from a blog that was released some time ago now, and I'm, I'm literally talking about eight years ago. What you're talking about here is how you're responding to the customer in saying, I f- feel what you're feeling. I felt what you have felt. And what I found is that if you do this, then this will help. So let me give you an example rather than me waffle on in concept. So if a customer says, well, this Mac Pro is too expensive, then they've been taught to say things like, I can see how you'd feel this way. I felt the price was a little high too, but I found that it's really good value because of the built-in quality and you know, blah, 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 other features and benefits that would then come of it. If you go back to it, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, the key thing they're clearly trying to do here is to empathize with it and to also empathize it personally. So not just a sort of a global empathy, but also saying that the price, you know, I felt that the price was a bit high, you know, between me, you and the gatepost. But when I looked into it, this is what I've found. And I think that that feel felt found is a, is a good way of looking at this communication. Uh, yeah, no, I think that that is a really interesting approach. This may be a, an opportunity for us to debate this whole idea a little bit. There are people who get really, really hung up the, the wrong phrase because that sounds like I'm negative towards it. But they, they really focus on specific words and phrases as having kind of key power in communication. To be fair, there is some evidence kind of backing that up just to a certain extent. So if you've ever looked into neuro-linguistic programming, that's this idea here where using certain words or phrases, you can kind of really connect deeply with someone's cognition. You can kind of, it's almost a way of, of mind control at the extremes. I have to say, I'm kind of skeptical about that approach. I think that like a lot of non-conscious or subconscious influencing, it can matter on the margins. It can nudge people a little bit on the edges. I'm not sure that it has a lot of great inherent power, but the the point that you just raised there is an, an important one. I think that if you train your people around using or not using certain phrases, it might matter to customers in some circumstances, but I think the greater power is that it, the effect that it might have on the employees when it's done appropriately. So, you know, you raised this point that by using those phrases, it helps you to focus on empathy, right? Rather than jumping straight into answering a question, which might be the natural approach for many people. Instead, it reminds the employees through that training. It's really important that you connect with this person emotionally, that you you kind of see things from their perspective. And in, in my opinion, I think that that might have the, the greater influence. Yeah, it's a good point. Because I think what Shane is saying is I like his point about the inclusive and exclusive and positive and negative. 
So I do think that positive language does give you a more positive results. So if someone says to me, let me explain, and it's also, as we are aware, it's not just the words that you use, it's the way that, that, that you you know, that you say it. If somebody says, did you do this? Then it's either turning around and saying, you're a bloody idiot because that's what you did. Or it's a, well, surely you should have known that you should have done this. For me, it goes back to the sort of the, the context. I think to build on your point, I think the issue for me is, and, and this is where the whole sort of subject of emotional labor comes in. If you go back to the, the whole thing around feel felt found and you go back to the empathy piece which i think is is key in a customer role okay and let's be also very clear empathy does not mean that you give the customer everything they want all you're trying to do is be empathetic to them having someone who is naturally empathetic and therefore recruiting the right person who would naturally say this type of thing and therefore it naturally comes across. So having someone who is naturally positive and would using inclusive language is going to be far easier than having somebody that isn't and then you're having to train them on it. And I think that for me is, whilst clearly language is important, I think actually recruiting the right person to be able to use the right language is probably even more important. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't think that's inconsistent at all. So I've expressed some skepticism towards neurolinguistic programming and that approach. I also want to emphasize that, like I said, there there is reason to believe that there's, there's something to this. There's this debate that it was fascinating that I learned about in grad school when I was studying psychology. Uh, you can check out for the next minute or two, Colin, because I'm not sure it'll excite you uh, to hear about this. I, I'm not sure the way I like your the way you said that to me. But, well, you know, um, <laughs> we're about to get philosophical here, and I know you're beyond that. Um, but the there was this debate in philosophy uh, going back hundreds of years at this point that's focused on this idea about negatives versus positives in language and kind of how people process that information and. So two very famous philosophers, a guy named Spinoza and a guy named Descartes, just really had a, a philosophical throwdown about this. And it, it, it was, without getting into the details of it, it's essentially, do people process information positively and negatively, or do they process information positively? And then afterwards, if it's negative, kind of attach a, a negative disclaimer to it and say that it's like, so essentially, we, we only process information as if it were true. And then afterwards, we come back and append a, but not this to it, right? So it seems like a minor difference there. It's been a several hundred years long debate, and uh, there's evidence on both sides. To go back and reemphasize that there is reason to believe that whether you say frame things in a positive way or frame things in a negative way, there's reason to believe that that might actually have have an effect on on people and how they process it. This is not something that Shane is just pulling out of the air. Like there's there's reason to believe that this might actually be important. Yeah, I think it's it's very important. If you think of some of the, the way negative language, so, uh, you know, of just even like, you know, it's not my policy or that's not my problem or you can just hear somebody saying that and immediately that's going to get the customers back up, isn't it? Yeah, get their defenses 
uh, but turn it into a more adversarial conversation instead of a more collaborative one. Yeah, but I think it goes a stage further than that. And this this is now starting to make me think that we need to do another podcast on this. The issue is that the output of, as Shane was talking about, of inclusive or exclusive language or negative and positive, et cetera, et cetera, is an emotion, isn't it? So if I turn around and say to you, well, that's not our policy, I can't give you your money back because that's not our policy. In other words, tough luck that's likely to make you feel frustrated or annoyed or whatever it may be. So maybe this is something we need to dive into in a little bit more detail on uh, on another podcast, because I know that the issue of how to evoke a, a customer's emotion is really key. And in my view, people tend to look at it too broadly. So maybe we should dive down into some of the detail on that on another podcast. My emotional reaction to that suggestion is uh, weary resignation. I know I can't stop you. So uh, (laughs) yeah, no, that sounds like a great idea. Let's, Let's talk more about emotion in a subsequent episode. Shane, thank you very much for um, sending us your video. Really interesting. If you anybody wants to contact uh, Shane, then please look in the show notes. You'll see his contact details down there and the um, link to his website. And if anybody else wants to submit a video with a, an opinion, a thought, a new piece of research that you've done, then again, you'll see the link in the show notes. Just click on the link and tell us what it was about. And then hopefully we'll have you on the show as well. So thanks again, Shay, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.